Welcome to Live on Purpose Radio with Dr. Paul Jenkins, where you will hear inspiring stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Feed your mind with a regular dose of positive energy and show up for your life every day on purpose. Living on purpose means that you have a purpose and you do it intentionally. And now, here's your host, Dr. Paul. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life with another episode of Live on Purpose Radio. Joining me today is David Horsager. David is an author. He's a speaker. He's an expert on trust and leadership. He's the author of a book I just finished last week on Audible called The Trust Edge and a new one that is just now being released called The Trusted Leader. I've been honored to be a guest on his podcast, The Trusted Leader Podcast, and I'm excited to welcome David Horsager. David, welcome to Live on Purpose Radio. Hey, thank you, Dr. Paul. Great to be here. Always fun to work and play with you. Yes, here we go. You know, as just, to, just to be clear, kind of like Facebook, we dropped the, so it's just Trusted Leader. Oh, there you trust go. Trust the leader show, trust the leader. Po- but you're right. The first book was The Trust Edge. So, you know, we're just kind of, you know, catching up. We're just dropping all the unnecessary words. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I was writing my first book, uh, my editor helped me to understand. I think he got this actually from Stephen King, who said, second draft equals first draft minus 20%. So we're cutting out all the unnecessary stuff. Oh, excuse me. We're cutting out all unnecessary stuff. There you go. <laughs> there I said stuff. <laughs> Patricia Fripp would be Uh-oh. on my case about that. Uh, David, when I was reading your book, I, I had a strong sense that trust uh, is so important, as you point out in your book, to relationships, leadership, sales, mental health. It affects every aspect of our life, and it's because it gets to some really core principles about being a decent person. Well, um, can I say it that way? You can. I mean, I, I I believe it's always the root issue, and and you know that first work back then, no one was researching trust and leadership twenty, you know, a couple decades ago. It's interesting um, in that world, but um, I believe now more than ever trust is always the root issue it's not, as far as business leadership or culture is concerned there's it's it it's the leading indicator so everything else like so you can say you know someone might say we got a leadership issue you never do the reason you follow a leader or not unless it's a dictator is trust it's you think uh-huh. we have a sales issue you never do the reason you buy or not has something to do with trust and it's not like people the question people is asking is not do i like you this idea that i like no i got friends i like a lot i wouldn't go into business within a million years right so trust. it's it's yeah. do i trust it's the only way to amplify a marketing message is increase trust in the message the only way to deal with the diversity issues of our day the biggest harvard study shows diversity on its own actually pits people against each other unless you increase trust. So we put out one of the biggest studies every year, at least out of North America, on trust and leadership. And we, what I've seen and what I'm, I have more conviction about now than ever. And this work changed me over the last couple of decades, by the way. Now everybody's talking about trust. They see the value. They see the bottom line impact. But um, back then, you know, it was actually, I had to show the research. Now, I, I, I just believe more than ever, a lack of trust is my biggest expense your biggest expense, the biggest cost we have, it always affects the bottom line. And there's a way to build it that's maybe a little 
more complex than people think. Even trust is a little different than people think in some mm-hmm. ways. It, it's a gut feel that people have. Sometimes it's hard to define it. I think, I think you did a nice job in your book put, setting up some parameters around that so that we can kind of talk about it and have, have some common language around it. But really, it comes down to a gut feel. Do I trust this person? And that's based on a number of factors in our experience with that person. And we're not so different from the people that we hope will trust us. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and exactly what you said, like, it's not, you don't trust someone because they say, just trust me. You know, in fact, that's a red flag. A lot of that's absolutely. You know, the the trust is earned every day. That's kind of partly why I wrote the second book. Actually, is because people kept thinking, "Oh, it's something you have or you don't," and that's not true either. You can actually earn. You can change how you are. You can do things that actually increase trust specifically. And of course, you can manipulate that too. And that that if you manipulate this 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 framework we talk about, that's not the kind of trust we're talking. That's not the trust edge. That's not the trustworthy leader. That's that's the appearance, right? That's not actually doing. But you can do. You can build these eight. I call them pillars now. They came out of research funnels. But the, these eight pillar, this eight pillar framework, and you can change your level of trust, which always change changes. You know, attrition, retention, time to market, sales, all those kind of things. But um, it's, you know, first, I mean, the first thing I I need people to see is it's trust is the core issue. It's actually, we want more innovation. Well, how are you going to do it? Well, the only way to get more innovation is increase trust in that team so people are will share ideas or right. oh my i want more learning in the classroom of our schools there's only one way you have to increase trust either in the teacher the content or the psychological safety of the environment the room the, the trust of the room so if you don't deal with trust so many people want to deal with something else even companies want to deal with the image of trust instead of actually trust, right? So I had a mentor of mine say, um, David, you'd make a lot more money if you just dealt with image stuff. Like people want to look good, but to really do that trust work, you're not, no one really wants to do that. that. Not hard. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. You know, um, I, I can see so many applications for this as a psychologist, particularly, and how, how trust gets in. In fact, I remember a, a conversation I had with Stephen M. R. Covey um, you've probably uh, read his book, The Speed of Trust, where uh, he makes the same point. It's, it's not innovation we're looking for. It's not better marketing messages we're looking for. It's, it's really how do we establish trust in whatever context it is that we're talking he about. He was really, you know, back then, both of us were putting out, we were putting out white papers and research. I can still remember when I had done all this work and then I, and then he, you know, I saw something of theirs. We kind of came, the first half of our research actually um, came to a very similar conclusion about the, and it's totally separately, totally authentically. They didn't take from us. I don't believe it all. And I didn't, certainly didn't take from them either. But that first, back then, it was actually a new thing to prove out how trust affects the bottom line, how it affects yeah. costs and time and attrition and retention. Um, the way we teach how to build it is a little different. I think his is true and I think ours is true, but there's a, there's a, a, a um, but, but anyway, it's kind of interesting because now, you know, back then, you know, especially in a bookstore, you saw, you know, there'd be trust edge and uh, speed of trust and, and nothing else. Now you have a lot of people with and without research right here, <laughs> writing on trust in all manner of ways. But I, th- and I think it's in essence, a good thing because people are seeing, Hey, is it, you know, people are, 
over the last decade more humanized, more more see the value of trust even in the, the bottom line and relationships. And, and of course, we've had people say to us, that helped me triple my sales, and I've had people say it saved my marriage. Either one. You know, we, you know and I know organizations don't change, only individuals do. So when one does, then a team, a country, a company. We use this on six continents now with pro sports teams and, and corruption in government. So I, I, I don't mind if it affects people because if it doesn't affect a person, let, let's say a police officer, uh, about bribery, it'll never affect the government. You have to affect a person first with, with, with any of our work, I think, to see transformation to start. Right. That's the grassroots level where it happens. Yeah. David, I didn't prepare you for this question. Uh, hey, I'm ready. I but get I'm, drilled at all the time. I'm betting life is prepared. <laughs> Jump, you anything you say, I'm ready. I've learned from my own experience that uh, it's through our, our own personal, sometimes painful experience that we come to, to grips with the principles that are really powerful in creating freedom, happiness, success, all those fun things that we talk about. What is it, what is it that, that turned you on to this? What experience did you have in your life that told you, hey, I've really got to pay attention to this? Well, I think this is really great, Dr. Paul. I mean, I think there's two things here. I think one, you can learn from greatness and you can learn from terribleness. Like you could say, right? And so I can even remember I used to speak you know, over 20 years ago at youth events. And I thought, I can't speak to this. I didn't, you know, I didn't get all these women pregnant. I never did drugs. I never did this. I never did that. So it yeah. wasn't actually a negative t- tipping point for me as much. Not, not, now, I can tell you some tipping points along the way where I've had big learnings happen. Okay, right. For me, and I can tell, I'll tell you maybe later to ask a question about my daughter. I'll, rem- I'll remember that one once the research came out. And I'll show that. But I will tell you a couple things. My, my, I grew up under great leadership on a farm in north central Minnesota. And if I really think to where this came from, it was watching a trusted leader, my dad and my mom, but my dad especially. Everybody loved to work for him. And there were things he did that, that I thought, that, you know, so later, I think when I, when I had the epiphany in, you know, I moved back, started my first business in 1999, and I had this epiphany. I had, I'd spoken at some of the military academies on some leadership work I'd developed and some other uh, youth and organizations and companies. And I had this epiphany. It's like, that's not a leadership issue. It's a trust issue. That's not a sales issue. Kind of like what I already said. I had this epiphany around trust. That led to my grad work. That led to the, the the books and writing. That led to you know us using this in companies and seeing results. And then now we do this ongoing research. Every step of the way, I got more and more passion, right? Because of research, and then you're seeing it work, and you're seeing it firsthand. And like, oh, more passion, more passion. And then I actually saw it start to change me, my parenting, my leadership, the way I run things. And that's really probably why I'm so passionate about it because I've seen it change universities. I've seen it change pro sports teams. I've seen it change me. But if I was going to go back, I'm just – I'll jump in here with a story, okay? So I think of my dad, okay? So I'm growing up on the farm. We're eight miles from the nearest town of 500 people. I don't think I've told this story in a podcast. Um, And, uh, you know, I'm 10 or 11 years old. My five older siblings are off the farm working somewhere. I don't know what. We're out in the middle of nowhere, Minnesota. Jump up at 5.30 in the morning. We get up, have breakfast. I jump in the pickup truck with dad. Mom stays in the house. We drive down the quarter mile driveway. We're going from field to field in the irrigator, irrigator, checking the beans. If you like chili, you'd love our farm, dark red kidney beans, mm. semi-loads, you know. On the far reaches of the farm, it's a public dirt road that morning. 
some neighbor who knows who left this piece of trash in the middle of that road. Remember, you can hardly see another farm from ours, but you know, it's not that there aren't farmers around and there's some trash. My daddy doesn't like trash. I knew that. I knew exactly what I was supposed to do when he swerved that pickup truck over in such a way that my door was immediately above that litter. (laughs) I opened the door, I reached down and I picked up the Playboy magazine. Uh-huh. Now, I'm not here to tell or judge anybody for what is right and wrong or what they believe, but I am here to tell you this. I knew exactly what my dad believed. I used to be an ethics professor. I will not tell you right now what's right and wrong. I will tell you, I knew my daddy did not believe that was the right way to look at women or treat women. I knew what he believed. I'd seen him mentor our tough hired guys. I'd seen him mentor my older siblings. I knew what he said he believed. But today I would see it. I dropped to the floor of the pickup truck. He kicked it under the seat. We kept going from field to field and irrigator to irrigator. Pretty soon, it's mid-morning on the farm. Some people might know what that is, about 7.30, right? So, so we drive up to the home front, up the quarter-mile driveway. I jump out at the house to go help my mom play. I don't know what I did inside the house. Dad drives out to the tractors and combines, starts to work on some tractors. Some random time that morning, the phone rang. And some of you will remember one phone on a farm with a cord attached, right? Right. The phone rang. Mom would usually just put a message on dad's lunch spot. Nothing was so urgent then. But today, she said, go give this to your dad. No windows on that side of the house to see what my dad was doing. The back side of the house, no, remember, you can't see another farm from ours. No way dad would think or hear. Lost most of his hearing in the Korean War. No way he would know. But on that day, I ran into the attached garage with that note. And for some reason, inside the attached garage, I stopped. And I peered out the only little entry door window looking out that back side of the house. And then that, through that little window, I no way you would hear me or think, but I watched, I looked, and I peered 100 yards. Think about this, a football field length away. I watched my daddy pull himself up from the, under the tractor he'd been working on, probably to go get a wrench or something. He walked around the other side of the combine. He came up to that side of the blue Chevy pickup truck, the other side, and I watched him. Thinking no one's watching, I watched him open that pickup truck. I watched him reach under that seat. I watched him thinking, no one's watching, pick up that Playboy magazine. I knew what he believed about it, right? I knew what he said he believed. What he said he believed. Yes. And then I watched him. I actually watched him keep his arm outstretched and walk 30 paces over to the shop furnace where I watched him throw it into the fire. Do you think I trust my daddy? Wow. Because he did what he said he would do even when no one's looking and that's where we create the habits for when someone just might be. And I think, you know, I think that the, the, that those moments for me, and I watch people love working for my dad. I mean, really love. At their 50th anniversary, hundreds and hundreds of people came back from the UK and Alaska, people that had worked for him to celebrate them. Now they're in their 60-something anniversary. Now, I'm not, I, I'm just saying, um, so I, I do think, a lot of people think they only learn from tragedies or you had to have a terrible point or you had to this horrible thing happen. Hey, you can be different leader. You don't have to drag your kids through that. You can actually, you don't have to drag your team through that. You don't have to say, well, I, I had toxic leadership in my company, so I'm going to, and I made it, so I'll be toxic too. You can actually be a different kind of leader that is trusted and people will learn from that and people can be different. And so, um, you know, like I said, individuals change, not organizations. Even better when the leader as is the individual because they have so much influence over the others. And so that, that, you know, this is where I, I think of him and I think probably if I'm really thinking of my trust work, all this research, all this work in some of the biggest companies in the world probably goes back to growing up on the farm under a great leader. 
and all of the other information and data that you obtain is simply validation for something that's already been in my heart believed installed in you. Right. That's and you probably. try to do it in a fair research way without like making it say something you already believe. And we've tried and we had to do that in grad work and all that. Mm-hmm. But um, I believe this to my core. And that's why people, I think, yeah. see a difference in me than some people. Uh, th- what we hear anyway is they're like, you're so passionate about this. Yes, I am. Because I saw it firsthand. I saw it in my own life. And I've seen it in real teams and companies. I've seen it in global governments. I mean, you take what happened in Kenya when... Right. when um, Rafael Odinga and Kenyatta shook hands. I mean, I remember being there right before the bloodshed and then the next election with a little less bloodshed. And finally, these two, you never thought would come together. And they started to build trust and it maybe saved a country in a way. I mean, you can rebuild trust. Things can change. Um, Doesn't mean they always will. And you don't have to let go sometimes, as you know, you might have to let go of poison too. As we come back from this break, folks, we'll dig into how that happens. How can you build trust, establish trust? I think that's going to be a great conversation. This is David Horsager at Live On Purpose Radio. We'll be right back. Are you ready to take your positivity to a whole new level? I've been enjoying these conversations with my guests at Live On Purpose Radio. My own story about becoming more positive is something that I've shared in my book, Pathological Positivity. And right now, I'm giving the book away. You just pay for the shipping. Go to drpauljenkins.com, spelled with a D-R, and click on the big orange button right there that will get you a free copy of my book. You pay the shipping, I'll pay for the book. Sound like a good deal? Power up your positivity and get ready to see phenomenal changes in your happiness, your relationships, your business, every aspect of life. Enjoy this free gift from me. DrPaulJenkins.com. And we're back. David Horsager at Live On Purpose Radio today. We're talking about trust, uh, which is probably one of those basic fundamental principles. It affects everything. And and David, through your research, your experience, you've you've learned a lot about how it affects things. Yep. And why it's so important. Can, can you just talk to that for a moment? Well, before we get into how, just a quick little, just, just to kind of open up our minds about trust. Because I, at least when I started the grad work, I thought I knew everything about, oh, trust, it takes a long time to build trust. Well, in a moment like 9-11 in America, complete, trust, uh, complete strangers trust each other in a second if they're running the same direction. Much of your trust is built and lost in a moment even the first one. Right, um, right. You could think, well, transparency is trusted. Some people say transparency and vulnerability, that's what trust is. It's just transparency. And that can be very important, but some of your kids are so transparent on social media, I don't trust them for a second because confidentiality is also trusted. Or we can think just confidence is trusted. If that ever leads to arrogance, it tends to not be. Or I extend more trust to your team, which is often good until you extend too much and you can have big problems. So mm. it's just, we have to think bigger about this old word and see the cost. I mean, the question I ask once people get it is, what's a lack of trust costing in your organization, your team? Because there's always a cost. There's always a gap. If we close that gap, we've just changed things the most. So it, it affects, I mean, you can think of simple things without the research, right? A lock. Why do I put a lock? on anything because i don't trust you what's the cost i gotta buy the lock that's money time now i gotta open it or text someone you trust boom done 
Now text someone you don't trust. What's the cost? Oh, how are they going to take this? How are they going to take that? I mean, there's always a cost where there's a lack of trust. So that's first. Just think bigger about trust and see if you can start to see it as the root issue, you can start to solve personal, family, and organizational challenges. So that gets to how, right? Are, we, are you yeah. ready for how? Let's dig in. I know in your book, you talk about eight pillars and uh, as I listened to, to the book, I did the audio version, yep. so I got to listen to you read it to me, which was <laughs> awesome. Um, these eight pillars, it seems like you've, you've formed these as kind of the basis for here's right. how it's built. So just so you know, like these eight pillars were just revalidated by an outside university last year through triangulated revalidation as the way trust is built globally. I believe without ego, you can solve every organizational leadership issue against these eight. doesn't mean I know how to do it or it's so easy. It just means when you have this language, you can frame it under these. So it really helps us get to the real issue. And I'll, I'll show you before long why it's never a communication issue. It's one of these. So as an example, let's, we'll go through, they're denoted by C words that, 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 that denotes the pillar. But remember, it's not a motivational book that we do want to put a C in front of every word. They, they denote a research funnel. So just for clarity, here's how you build trust. And then I can talk about any of these pillars for a whole day. We'll try to give some quick takeaways at the end. There's a whole lot here and we're giving your whole group a a whole lot of, of, you know, free takeaways with the, with the book. If they, if they like all that, a masterclass and a whole lot of other stuff, if they'd like it to go deeper. (laughs) Yeah. Lots more, but let's just for context, here we go. How do you build trust? First pillar, and they're not in importance, but number one is clarity. What we learned is you trust the clear and you mistrust or distrust the ambiguous or the overly complex. And many people, uh, you know, think of professors, we overcomplexify beyond what is needed. We always lose clarity, which loses trust. So clarity, many people think they're clear when they're not. I mean, even marketing and branding firms. So number one is clarity. Number two is compassion. We trust those that care beyond themselves. So um, do not be fooled by this one. We don't want to trust, follow, or be account- accountable to people that we don't feel like care at all about us or would have our back. Mm-hmm. Number three is character. We knew this would be important. You'll see very quickly it's not everything, but we trust those that do what's right over what's easy. Some people think that character was done at 12 years old or 14 or something. We know we can do some things even in organizations. We have a seven-step process for how do you build character in an organization. One of the questions we ask is, is there any way you're systemizing against the character you want to have? We, We see sales incentive programs be systemized against the character they want to have or, you know, um, bribery issues in East Africa are systemized against what the country actually wants. So that's, that's a character issue. This, Number, that triggered yeah. for me the story that you shared yeah, about your dad, because uh, the character that you witnessed, you know, when someone, when their words match their deeds and nobody's watching. I mean, what do we do when nobody's watching? We ask it all the time. What do you, you, would you follow you? You know, I want to be the most respected. Many leaders want to be the most respected by the masses. I want to be the most respected. The high trust leader, at least, is the most respected and loved by those that know them the most. Right. Right. Behind So, but, but yeah, but character is not everything because that fourth pillar is competency. So as an example, I might trust my dad to, you know, take my kids, his grandkids to the ball game because of his character, right? That doesn't mean I will trust him to give me a root canal. So in the area you want to be trusted, 
whether psychologist or otherwise, you've got to stay fresh and relevant and capable. If you're, if you're still leading the way you were 20 years ago, I don't trust you. If you're selling the way you were 10 years ago, I don't trust you. If you're trying to do the same thing, you've got to stay fresh and you've got to stay competent. That's the competency pillar. The next pillar is commitment. We trust those that stay committed even in the face of adversity. So if you think of anybody in life or history, Mandela, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Jesus, or Joan of Arc, you'll, that they, many of them were trusted because of their commitment to something, cause beyond themselves, even to death, right? Commitment breeds commitment. There's a whole lot more we could say about that. If we have time for it, we'll come back to give the one key takeaway on how you rebuild trust if you've lost mm -hmm. it under that pillar. Next pillar is, is connection. We trust those that are willing to connect and collaborate with others. And uh, this pillar, you know, each of these pillars in an organization has counterforces. So a counterforce in an organization would be like siloing. That would be a, a, a counterforce mm -hmm. to the connection pillar. I'm not willing to connect or collaborate with others. There's a whole lot we could say about that pillar. The seventh pillar is contribution. The number one word that came out of this research funnel was results. We trust those that contribute results. You got to get results. You can't just have compassion and character and not contribute the results I expect or ask for. I, I go into the surgery for amputation. The surgeon cuts off the wrong leg. I don't care how compassionate they are. We got a wrong result. I'm not going to trust them. You've got to contribute results, and this is the work of work. You can't just it, – it'd be easy to have, you know, just that compassion pillar if you never had to get results. So you, you have to have all eight. The final pillar – is consistency. We trust sameness. So, and by the way, whatever you do consistently, I will trust. If you're if you're late all the time, I'll trust you to be late. The only way to build a reputation is sameness. The only way to build a brand is consistency. Consistency wins. And and so this is why I would say very quickly, and there's there's a lot we could talk about here with contextualizing to your role, how a how a leader would use clarity, maybe a vision compared to how a salesperson could leverage clarity, like being clear about the benefits instead of how clear clear about how cool they are and, and how long they've been in business. Maybe a teacher is a really cool teacher, but not liked at all because they're unclear about the assignment, so the kids go home frustrated. So that clarity can apply to you, each of these can apply to you, but I did make one mention of communication as a joke, and it's a truth, too. And that is why the, the real issue, like people say we want more engagement. The research shows you don't get engagement with engagement. You have, to get, you have to increase trust to get more engagement. You don't get a net promoter score that's higher with more referrals. The research shows that you have to increase trust to get higher NPS or net promoter score or referrals. It's the same with communication. Ladies and gentlemen, communication added is never the core issue. Communication is happening all the time. Clear communication is trusted. Unclear isn't. Compassion is. Hateful isn't. Consistent is inconsistent. So when you can line up these eight, even then you can actually start to solve the real issue. And of course, we give a bunch of tools for how you can leverage them. I, I chuckled just now, David, because when I do couples coaching and through my career as a, a clinical psychologist, the, the two main things that, that couples bring up, trust and communication right and they mean uh, they mean well i mean they, what they mean sure. is compassionate clear um word but they what right. kind of communication exactly right? that exactly. that's what matters i tell these couples all the time hey in my experience 100 percent of the couples communicate that's <laughs> not the issue silence is communication absolutely yeah that's why i was chuckling i just i love it i love it
So uh, give us give us a, a takeaway. Okay, so I'll give you a couple so things I just thought that? of because I said something under commit, you know, some things we can do quickly. Yeah. Um, one is how do you rebuild trust? Yes, we have a 10-step process if you're a big company that had an oil spill. Um, but whether you're a big company or a, 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 an individual, we've all lost trust. We've all made mistakes, right? right? How do you rebuild it? Well, let me tell you something. It's never the apology. I am not saying you don't need to apologize to open the door of communication, but I'll say it this way in a story. A CEO from the Netherlands came to America. We became friends. I said to him after a couple of weeks, hey, what's the first thing you noticed in America? He said, you want to know the first thing I noticed, David? I said, yeah. He said, first thing I noticed, you got a bunch of lying apologizers over here. They all say they're sorry and they don't mean it. They're, I said, what do you mean? He said, oh yeah, this guy, he comes every day. He says, I'm sorry, I'm late. He's late every day. See, so we don't, doesn't mean, you know, we don't trust the apology. This doesn't mean you don't need to apologize to start, just even crack the door, open the door. Start. But the only way to rebuild trust is to make and keep a new commitment. It's the only way I'll really retrust you again, right? So um, that's, that's one idea. I said something about transparency earlier. One of the newest pieces of research, actually, it's, it's been a while now, um, shows that 92% of employees would trust their senior leader more if they're more transparent about their mistakes about their yeah see that's the problem we just say transparent just be transparent but transparent about their mistakes and we think we win on i've got this award i'm the coolest i'm the whatever we don't ever win on that we don't connect on that we connect on our failures and our challenges right and okay. so um i remember one of the first times i saw this now my, my oldest daughter's 18 now in college um but when she was like 13 or something you know she didn't see the time I lost everything in our, you know, uh, buying a business and lost everything before she was born. She didn't see, you know, a lot of things. She kind of came in, you know, and saw the growth, saw me start getting to fly in planes around the world and, you know, get picked up by sedans and kind of some of that kind of stuff. And so um, I still remember 13 years old, we're out for a walk and she said, Dad, you wouldn't understand because you're perfect. I don't know if she was talking about what she was talking about, uh, grades or, or uh, boys or what. And I knew my heart sank. And you know, I've got a problem at 13. At three, no problem. Be their hero. But at 13, they, th this was a big problem. And so I, I made, um, by intention, uh, I started sharing with her mistakes I'd made because she just hadn't seen. I'm, clearly, my wife saw plenty of issues still. You know, friends, my business partners, everybody sees that. But, but she had just been uh, insulated, you know, a little bit. Um, and, and I'm glad she sees me still positively, but... Um, and by the way, at 18, she's seen plenty. <laughs> no more problem with that little, you're perfect. No Perfection problem, no problem. has yeah. faded. <laughs> right. But, but, she's, but I started sharing with her um, places I made mistakes. Like, you might not have known, but I did this wrong. Even today with my staff, I should have done this and I did that. What happened to our relationship through me sharing my failures and mistakes? Our relationship changed for the better forever. So that, that, that's one other little quick mm -hmm. idea. There's so many more we could go into. There, there are so many things that we could discuss related to each of these eight pillars. And thank you for sharing all of them with us. I know that our listeners are going to be wanting more of this. Uh, I've mentioned your book, Trust Edge. Um, Trusted Leader is the new one. That's wonderful. Trusted yeah. Leader is the yep. new one. Yep. And there's a way that they can connect to that. You shared with me before the show, uh, David, that we can we can go to Trusted Leader Book. Know the. Right. 
<laughs> trustedleaderbook.com and then do a little forward slash Dr. Paul. And you get all kinds of gonna get tools there? and takeaways. You get it. If you, if you grab the book, you get that free, you get our masterclass. I think it's like a, a $600 deal where you get the, all that's for free. 72 videos on each of these pillars. You get a, a, a self-assessment. You get, you get a access, I believe, to our new masterclass we just videoed in Atlanta. Uh, we're giving that away to that group. So it's kind of like this thousands yeah. of dollars worth of content. You're a friend of Dr. Paul. You want to get in on this. We give you all this access. Uh, all you have to do is go, yep, it's it's at, uh, let's see, yep, trustedleaderbook.com slash Dr. Paul. The other way, if you just want to see a free chapter and kind of see what we're about, you can text TRUST to 55444. So just text TRUST 55444 and you'll get access to the first chapter. This book, by the way. It's really fun to see what we've learned over the last 12 years. First half is a little parable that shifts thinking and mindset around trust, like mm -hmm. helps us see trust differently. Second half gives these fresh tools that I didn't cover in Trust Edge that you can use tomorrow morning as a leader. So it's the application uh, after the mind shift. Uh, wonderful. Everything that I've learned from you is so practical and spot on. Uh, that's why I love working and playing with David Horsager. Thank <laughs> you so much for joining us at Live On Purpose Radio. Thank you so much. Appreciate you, Dr. Paul. Everybody, you've heard it. It's time. Go apply something that you've learned from this today. It's time to live on purpose. Mm -hmm.